Welcome back to Following Know It On, a Stormlight podcast. This week is episode 56, and we are starting Oathbringer by Brandon Sanderson. This is book three of the Stormlight Archive. We ended book two of the Stormlight Archive, Words of Radiance, a little bit ago. We stopped for for Warbreaker. We stopped for Edge Dancer in between uh, the two books. But we are we're back fully into Roshar. No no novellas, no side stories on different planets. We're we're into book three of the Stormlit Archive. Oathbringer is my personal favorite of the the four books. So I hope it lives up to y'all's expectations. I know you guys have high expectations of the series by now. So I will throw it to Paul, first of all, to ask how you're doing and get some Maybe some predictions, some hopes of Oathbringer. Well, well, you know I love predictions, and always they're always extremely accurate. So uh, I'm here for that. So I, I'm really, really excited to get into Oathbringer. I feel like whenever you told me about this series years ago, I like this is I wanted to get to this point, but I didn't know how I was going to get here. And so you know, it it only took a year. So uh, pretty good. Um, but yeah, I'm super excited and already getting started. I, I'm I'm really into it and, and excited to talk to you guys about it. I have I have no groundbreaking predictions right now. Uh, so, okay, Elliot, I I agree with you, Paul. I feel like we're not necessarily veterans at this point, but we're 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 fully established. I feel like as readers and and fans in the in the Stormlight Archive world. And so this is this is fun to really dive into the the meat of it now. We've we've got some history, we've got some knowledge, we we know enough to be dangerous. So I'm excited to dive into the the world even further in Oathbringer. Wonderful. As I've said, that Oathbringer is my favorite of the of the four books published so far. When we started this podcast, Oathbringer was the last Stormlight book to be to be published but since we've started it rhythm of war has come out and i've read it i've read rhythm of war once uh, i read it straight through within three days and i'm not going to read it again before the three of us go through it um probably in about six months or so so when we get to rhythm of war i'll actually be fairly fresh on it as well i've read oathbringer quite a bit it's it's my favorite of the three um that were published up until that point. So I'm I'm fairly well versed in Oathbringer, but when we get to Rhythm of War, it's only gonna be my second read. So exciting stuff. No joke. Alrighty. We can go ahead and jump into the prologue of oh wait, I'm getting ahead of myself. I was gonna say. My words, yeah, is for nothing. <laughs> uh, the Elliot, words, Kaladin, the words. <laughs> yeah, my bad. Elliot, uh, what are your two words to summarize the prologue, chapter one, and chapter two of Oathbringer? So my two words are opposites, and they are darkness and light. Darkness and light. All righty. I feel like we've had those two words before, but that's it probably that's totally fine. <laughs> themes of fantasy books it's fine uh paul how about your two words 
So my one word, Trevor, is dimensions. And I think it goes pretty good with this. So I just stuck with one. Okay. I am... I'm really curious to get into that. We can use these three words and start our discussion on Oathbringer. We sure can. All right, Paul, I am really curious what dimensions means for these three chapters. And keep in mind that just before you say whatever you say, anybody who's listening, keep in mind that Paul's a first-time reader. Uh, go ahead, Paul, with dimensions. What, is that, what does that mean for you for these chapters? Um, <clears throat> well, Trevor, wouldn't you like to know? I would love to pull that <laughs> on you for the amount of times that I ask questions and don't get to know the answer, right? We don't always get to know, Trevor. No, I'm kidding. Um, so I chose Dimensions for a couple reasons that I, I felt like it, it kind of had a double meaning. Um, I'm scared I may not have gone deep enough because it was kind of a surface level thing that popped up to me in, in my mind. Um, I would say the thing that stuck out to me the most that made me think of the word was Dalinar's visions and specifically with the like nine shadows and the unmade and all of that um I I really I, I the reason I chose dimensions specifically is I felt like this opening and potentially what Oathbringer may do is just add another dimension to what we've already seen and what we're already doing in in Stormlight. By the end of Words of Radiance, yeah, Words of Radiance, I feel like we're starting to get a grip on things. I know we have endless questions that we want answered, but we understand the systems and and all this stuff. Um, and I feel like we're gonna get stuff thrown at us that's just kind of on another plane. We're going from three dimensional to four dimensional or something. Um, that made me think of it is there's are these like some anti sprint or ant like the opposite of heralds or like what's going on here um also just things like with the prologue it's from Eshenai's perspective and there was just a lot of I guess alluding to the Parshendi just like knowing things that we don't, I guess, um, about Parshendi this. Parshendi no Dalinar? Sorry. <laughs> Parshendi no Dalinar now. Um, but yeah, the Parshendi just kind of know all this stuff. And I, there's just got to be like another level that of importance or understanding that they have that we don't know yet that I assume we will find out at some point in this book or the next. Um I would say those are the two major reasons why. So. All right. Elliot. Mine are probably pretty obvious, I think, for for these chapters, but I, I've keyed in on some specific elements that seem to be playing into sort of perhaps a theme of darkness and light, and, and the two very much kind of alongside each other, which was interesting. In the prologue, we have a little more on the 
the dark sphere that we've been hunting for more and more information about, we we see uh, a little bit of that. And I want to talk more about that when we get to it, but that darkness. Then when we see Odium and his champion, there, there's this very interesting darkness and light going on there. There's the darkness of what I think is the champion and the shadows and the, the unmade, but then there's this blinding light that accompanies the shadow and what that could possibly be telling us. I have no idea yet, but it seems very, very intriguing. So that's, that's why I keyed into darkness and light. Cool. All right. Now we can jump into the prologue of Oathbringer here and we can, we can pick up kind of where you guys were leading with, uh, where your dark sphere here because we get that fairly quickly um in this uh the prologue we have an eshenai point of view chapter paul i've i've dangled this in front of you for a little while now and you finally you finally discovered who the point of view chapter was for the prologue of uh oathbringer would you have guessed that it would have been eshenai or what I know I went around on my guesses on this for a while because you did dangle it in front of me of like, oh, you'll you'd never guess, yeah. like you would never guess who it is. Um, and so I thought about it for a while. I guess I didn't, I did not expect it to be Eshenai, but whenever it started and it was, I wasn't shocked. I, I wasn't surprised, um, but I was really curious to see like what would happen because we have seen Eshenai stuff before. So, yeah. What are your guys' thoughts on her first her her first couple of pages are just her absorbing Kolinar and the palace and trying to and she's been thrown headfirst into this new culture of the Alethi and she's trying to process everything that's happening. Before she really talks to, to Gavilar later in this chapter, what were your guys' impressions of Eshenai? Cause up until this point and maybe up until, I mean, maybe the last couple chapters and maybe a couple interludes and words of radiance, we've been, the Parshendi have been portrayed as bad guys for us. And we have a point of view chapter from Eshenai here, and she just seems like a normal person or parchment or however you want to, you want to call them at this point. Yeah, it. It it kind of so the way I would equate it with to to a real world thing, which I don't think is accurate or a good way to approach this, but just kind of the way that I rationalized it, um, this probably isn't accurate. But I I I almost felt like Eshenai was a young professional, like on her first job. Almost that's kind of the the like idea I got was she was at this town and she was just like okay, like, what's going on? And, like, trying to figure things out. Um, it was kind of funny. She was like, oh, the, like, these people have all their forms at once, you know, um, and stuff. Like, she was just used to the Parshendi, you know, life. Um, but it sounded like she was a very important part of their group that was going, um, and stuff but it it was interesting but as far as her perspective i almost felt like 
she was qualified, but not like experienced in what she was supposed to do. I, I was a little confused, but um, but I didn't think too much about it. I guess that's actually a really good point. And actually, now that I think about it, some really good writing by Mister Sanderson. It's this is a different Eshenai than what we've seen before, and that makes sense. You know that the war on the Shattered Plains has drastically changed all of our characters. Why why would it not have changed Eshenai? And clearly it has, because you're right, Paul. I agree with you that this is a more naive Eshenai than we've seen on the the Shattered Plains. She is just kind of you know wide eyed and looking at the world, and that's not the Eshenai we're used to. I, I I agree with you on that. I I gotta say too, in this uh, in this early section, Trevor, it actually made me a little bit a little bit sad, honestly, because clearly the Parshendi and the humans, or the Alethi, I should say, I suppose, actually seem like they got off to a really great start. Right. It seems like they were they were getting along really well in these first. I'm kind of assuming weeks or months that like led up to, you know, this moment. And so for what could have been this great alliance or partnership to be so intentionally destroyed is, is huge and sad. And the, the Parshendi knew exactly what they were doing when they, when they flip it on Gavilar, because they were that afraid of whatever Gavilar was about to do and they they knew exactly what the Alethi were capable of because they'd gotten to know the Alethi, they'd gotten to know Gavilar. Gavilar, at this point, as we'll read about, and we, we kind of know already, that he had just gone on this years-long campaign of fighting every High Prince until they joined him, and then they're on the Shattered Plains looking for gem hearts, and they stumble across the Parshendi. So they've been sharing and dialoguing uh, culture back and forth so they are well aware of how prepared for war the Alethi are at the moment and so for them to be willing yep. to do this to assassinate Gavilar whatever Gavilar was about to do and we get a couple definitions but we don't really know we get a couple out of context phrases of what Gavilar was about to do but we don't really know what that means yet and so I'll let you guys kind of fish around for that here in a second but uh, they were that afraid of Gavilar that they were willing to just kill him on the spot, no matter what it meant to, uh, in the future, as we've seen the last two books for them. Definitely. I I do. Before we move on too much from the prologue, there's, there's something that I want to share about what my thoughts were reading this for the first time. And I, I'm not expecting anyone else had these thoughts, but I would believe it. I feel like it was phrased in a way that this could be believable. Um, so whenever Eshenai first starts talking to Gavilar, uh, it, first off, it was kind of cool to see like some a conversation with Gavilar. Um, here is pretty neat, and going into it, it definitely felt like there is a big level of trust between Gavilar and Eshenai, and he kind of comes at her with like oh, I need your help, like, you're the one who can help me do this. And maybe if it, maybe it was the internal, like, optimist in, in me. 
I thought Gavilar, the reveal was going to be Gavilar is still alive. Um, I thought I thought it was coming in, and then he was plotting with Esha Knight to like cover this up somehow, and he was going to be alive. But then I I found out shortly after that was not going to be the case. But um, it did get me really excited for a little while, and my mind was just racing. Like, okay, okay, what's gonna what does this mean for our story? Um, but yeah, I'm actually curious to see. I don't know if anyone else who who's watching or anyone out there had, had similar thoughts. I'm kind of curious if anyone did. But uh, that was my initial pre- wild prediction of this book, of reading it. But it, it was quickly quickly uh, disproven. It doesn't hold up like, like Shalon and Light Song. <laughs> <laughs> that, that one that, holds up, but this one... Solved. Yeah. This one didn't hold up, I'm afraid. So close. All right, so let's talk about Gavilar for a second here, because we get a lot more on what Gavilar was doing, what he was trying to do. We get quite a few like term of term of phrase uh, drops, and they're not really defined, but we certainly know that Eshenai is afraid. So Gavilar tells her that he, he reveals to her the dark sphere, which we'll talk about here in a second. He tells her that I can return your gods and you you Parshman need or your you Parshendi need to awaken. And uh he talks about gems holding holding spren, holding gods. Uh what are your guys's like Elliot, I'm I'm curious to see what you what you picked up here because there's a lot, and mm-hmm. what what do you, what do you got for me? I I'm sure there's way more in here that I picked up on because you're right. He Gavilar speaks like he knows a lot more than we're kind of used to our other characters knowing, which caught me off guard. Like he's talking about things that we've only just learned at like the end of Words of Radiance. You know things about the Parshendi's gods and just the Parshendi themselves. It seems like, you know, Dalinar and Elokar, it's them out on the Shattered Plains felt like they knew hardly anything about the Parshendi. And then here's Gavilar, who seems to know exactly who they are, exactly what he's about to do to try and bring their gods back. Like, whoa, he's, he knows a lot more than our other characters uh, knew at the time. Although... I did key in on that Amaram is in this scene. He is. And I didn't catch it till the second read, actually, because he uses his first name, not Amaram, his surname or last name, whatever. But he, so, so this is kind of leaving me questioning, you know, how much does Amaram know? And we, we've, we've gotten hints before that Amaram knows a lot more than he's letting on. And this is, I think, more evidence that points to, Amaram knows way more than he's saying or letting other people think he knows at the uh, alongside our other characters. Um, but you you mentioned the spren and the gems. I I took some I noted that very specifically. He Gavilar talks about they you somehow used an ancient spren to imprison the original parchment in the bodies that they have now like how did that work 
what what in the world we know that Sprenner involved in the form transformations for Parshendi. We know that the Parshendi had to collect like special Spren to to achieve storm form. So perhaps this was some kind of Spren that somehow locked all of these. We're assuming Parshendi before into the dull form of of Parshman, but that was done intentionally by the Alethi or by the humans. Interesting. Like there's a lot of hints there. Would you like a little a little reach of a theory? I will please. Um so the only reason that this came to my mind is because it's also presented here as new information, so it could correlate, I guess. So you said it was like a kind of a type of spren or something that did this, like with made the parshendi into a parshman. Um, it could be one of our like nine shadows, or like correlated to that. It sounds mm-hmm. like it's maybe some kind of evil or corrupt or I don't know spren that could be used for harm in a way. Um, so I'm wondering if maybe that could somehow be correlated to these shadows or like a a power of one of them a trait of one of them or something like that so so let's talk about the dark sphere because i think the dark sphere may be tied to those shadows somehow this is this is the first time maybe not the first time but this is a good element point in the in the story where we're getting some characters these unmade creatures coming in maybe they're spread maybe they're not that are an embodiment of darkness we also have this sphere which kind of emits this light that's actually darkness and i noticed i noticed in this section eshenai knows what it is she sees it and she recognizes it and knows what it is but she doesn't share enough of her thoughts for like to tell us what it is which was frustrating Brandon, but the, <laughs> Brandon, you know, the, 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 right? But but this it tells me something, and it makes me wonder. It makes me wonder if maybe that power is somehow tied to their gods, or which could perhaps be tied to the the unmade, these shadow beings. I don't know. Am I am I tacking the right thing onto your your prediction, Paul? What do you think? I I could definitely see. I I, I feel like there's kind of the from what we can tell from the beginning of this book i feel like it's just showing that there's a lot more evil than we know yes um that's one thing i even said in the first book it's like it doesn't seem like there's a clear ultimate evil we we had a whole lot of discussion about that uh but uh, um but now i feel like it's it's starting to hint more at oh there's something much bigger maybe more people involved in in evil than we thought like a more sinister um kind so i would definitely believe that this dark sphere is correlated to this and maybe we'll find out at the end of this book is my guess maybe or maybe next book or maybe it hasn't been written yet maybe it's in the last one so um, but I would definitely like if I had to to come up with something now. Definitely, they're correlated, and it's gotta be. It's just 
Just maybe. quick, uh, quick question for you guys, just so I can get a nice, uh, nice clip for future reference. How many unmade do you think we've seen on screen so far? Can I ask a clarifying question? Yes. Just, just to make sure I remember what it says about the unmade. So. Does it talk about the unmade being people or friends, does or does it give you. a specific there? It does not. It tell doesn't. You. Doesn't specify. Okay. Um, I can think of one at least. I'm trying to think give, of this. Give one. me your guesses. I'm gonna go with two. I think we've seen two. Okay. Which are? Um, my my guesser are. Okay, it may not be like the source of, but where we've seen them used, I'm gonna guess are like little storm form spren that the that has turned the Parshendi given them storm form. Okay. I'm also just gonna do the crazy guess of I don't I forget what they're called, but our crazy guy at the end of Edge Dancer made up of all the little Kremlings. The, the sleepless. The sleepless, yeah. I'm just gonna guess that whoever is in charge of the sleepless is and Mr. Kremlin guy is a is a yeah Mr. Whoever Mr. Kremlin guy's Mr. boss Kremlin is guy. is definitely one of our shadows. Okay. Um, another another little guess on this I don't think adds up, but it's a thought on our dark sphere correlated to this. Um, so all of our heralds and. Uh, I almost said our Mistborn. Our, all of our heralds and our... Knights Radiant. The... Yes, all of our <laughs> Knights Radiant. Wow. <laughs> all of our Knights Radiant use Stormlight, right? And I'm wondering if our Unmade here use like a corrupted version of Stormlight that yeah. we just haven't seen, but have been, you know, they have them. Um, and, and Gavilar somehow got some of it. And now that the Everstorm is back, it can infuse it with it? Perhaps. That's a way to, to look at it. Um, but there's some kind of like dark alternative to Stormlight that they may draw their power from. Okay. And, and maybe Gavilar found that out. Maybe he found the little key or the proof to that and stuff. Or... Yeah. Just a couple... A couple... Mis misguiding clues for you mm -hmm. is is Nightblood one of our shadows? Is the Dark Sphere whatever's in the Dark Sphere one of our shadows? Is the Thrill one of our shadows? The Thrill definitely isn't. We um maybe I will actually the Thrill is actually the only one that I would give credit to. Okay. I don't. I don't th think the dark sphere is. I think maybe it's a tool of one of them or something like that. But I don't think it itself is is anything like, like that. Elliot, you've been brewing over there for a while. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yeah. I have. I have. So, to to spill over what I've been brewing. So the the storm father actually gives us a slight clue here. Uh, Dalinar is talking to him either in the vision or or afterwards. I can't remember, but he the Stormfather specifically says, uh, Dalinar asks about the nine shadows, and and the Stormfather says nine shadows, the unmade, his minions, ancient spren, and so 
I'm taking from that that these are spren, perhaps some a very different kind of spren that we've that we've typically seen before. Um, but kind of running with that, I had not thought about the thrill, but I could definitely see that being the case. We we had some hints of Teravangian. Was it Teravangian? It is part of that whole Teravangian discussion of he was like hunting some spren that had uh, an influence on people. So perhaps a thrill is driven by one of these very powerful spren, perhaps one of the unmade. I could also see one of the unmade being the source of the, I believe it's been coined, death rattles that uh, Teravangian is capturing. We he He hinted that there was some sort of a source for those that he was kind of like trying to track across Roshar or, you know, there's certain areas where they get more of these deathbed sayings and, and other areas where there's less. So that could be one of them. Um, I, I do think your first hint was going to be what I was going to predict, Trevor. I think that I, at this point, I think that orb, that sphere has one of the unmade trapped in it. I think that one of these shadows is what's in that orb, making it glow dark I was originally thinking along the lines that you're talking, Paul, that this dark light may be like some a, a, a opposite version of stormlight. That was my original thought, but I think I'm going to change that. I'm going. I think I'm going to amend that to. I don't think it's stormlight or a version in that sphere. I think it's one of the spren, one of these ancient unmade spren themselves in that sphere. There's a couple other candidates. Uh, the night watcher. Could be one of our shadows. Yeah. Um, that big spren that caused all the the geyser in our interlude. I don't remember. Way back in the way of kings. I don't know if you guys remember what I'm talking about, but yeah, I do. We talked about it not too long ago, and just kind of the like rethinking of how spren works with more knowledge we have today. I guess right. Nah, um, that that spren is way too happy and just like splashing tourists. There's no way he's, <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. he's evil. Yeah, true. Alrighty. Any more thoughts on the prologue before we? And th this is also chapter one uh, with the, with the unmade that we're yeah. talking here. But any more thoughts before we get into a uh, the killing of Sadius and the repercussions heading into Oathbringer here? Just just one really, and that was that. Again, just a little bit of a hint that I feel like we don't have nearly enough to unravel at this point. The Parshendi or Eshenai is talking about Zeth, and we, we learn a little bit more about how they acquire Zeth, how they bought him at like a slave market and then sent him in, you know, figured out that he was an assassin and could go kill Gavilar for him. So they, they sent him in. But there's like a, a brief mention about the, the Parshendi who did this, who went and bought Zeth, did so at the prompting of a voice and like that's all it's left at and not capitalized i i would note too sometimes like really important things just get randomly capitalized and so when i'm reading i'm like ooh, important this one's not so it's just like a, a voice a voice <laughs> yeah what in the world is that it could be something supernatural it could be teravangian trying to throw wrenches in the alethi plan it could be anything I, I wrote that down. I wrote down Teravangian because that's what I thought of. It doesn't seem to fit his like abilities because it does seem like a supernatural thing, but this is totally something Teravangian would do. 
that very much behind the scenes manipulating, ooh, I'm going to you know, get these Parshendi to think they need to buy Zeth so that they figure out that he's an assassin. And so they kill Cavalar. Like that's the kind of puppet mastery type of stuff that we, we've seen Teravangian is capable of. So I thought of that. But yeah, the voice that's going to go on my my list of questions because I bet it's not going to get answered for four books. <laughs> Thanks, Brandon. Yeah, Brandon. Thanks, Come Brandon. On. Touching that was on, it. Touching on this uh, this vision that Dalinar has in chapter one, uh, it's a vision he's seen before. But he's kind of manipulating it now. So his new bond with the Stormfather lets him have, like, fast-forward, rewind, jump-around, 360, like, control vision of these of these visions now. He can apparently enter them uh, when he wants and, you know, back up and stuff like that. So he jumps around and goes down into the broken ruins of Kolinar. Uh, or maybe it's, like, an ancient Kolinar. And he says the wind blades, which I always envision Minas Tirith here, uh, of like this huge like blade of stone coming out of the rock. Like it's built around this, uh, these four wind blades coming out of the stone. And we, shout out to uh, Capsule and his little music plate thing making stuff about yeah. Anyway, uh, and the wind blades themselves are cracked in half and like laying on the ground and like just have themselves destroyed the city. So Dalinar is kind of walking around and they have this dialogue about odium and I can't ever say odium without like dropping my voice, like odium, you know, like o- o- <laughs> o- <laughs> it's such a good, good name. Odium. odium. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I'm, I'm not the only, like, Michael Kramer does it too. When you listen to the audiobook, Paul, whatever Michael Kramer says, odium, you're just like, odium. You're like, oh. <laughs> anyway. Uh, so. It is very menacing. What did you guys pick up on for the Stormfather and Dalinar having this dialogue back and forth? I, I noted, or I wrote down Thunderclasts. We've only seen these things briefly or kind of alluded to. They they were perhaps in the prelude all the way at the very beginning of Way of Kings. There's one in one of the visions that Dalinar had. I think that's uh, Way of Kings as well. But I think Dalinar's thinking that those types of beasts are what did this destruction to Kolinar. So I'm wondering if this is perhaps kind of foreshadowing an encounter we might see in this book. Are are we actually going to see one of these things? Are our chasm fiends going to become, you know, no longer the massive creatures we think they are, and just the small version of the huge thunder class, which are the real big creatures that are just enormous and can destroy entire cities. Whereas now we think chasm fiends are enormous and. Uh, destructive so perhaps that's coming so now's as good a time to bring it up as any uh if you guys see the t- or the cover of oathbringer i'm not going to reveal who this is quite yet although you could probably guess um we have a our cover here and then on the back it's kind of hard to tell but there's a battle scene 
And then there's two like huge legs. Do you see that, Elliot? Kind of. There's one here, and there's one here, and like the whole upper shadow part is like this body. It's kind of hard to tell, but if you if you can get the the cover art without the back script on it, then you can definitely tell it's there. But there's there's your allusion to thunder thunderclass there. I I also definitely see some some red lightning up there as well. Mm-hmm. So yes, I, I think we we may perhaps have some epic battles in our our future here. I think the other big thing I noted in Dalinar's vision was, and I kind of already mentioned this a minute earlier with my two words, was was a moment when he sees Odium and Odium's champion. And I was trying to understand it. I couldn't quite tell. It seems like Odium is just kind of the light in the background, and Odium's champion is the dark figure standing in front. Am I interpreting that correctly? Can you even tell me if I'm interpreting that correctly? I will nod my head. Oh, okay, I'll take I'll take whatever I can get, and so he's he's looking at Odium's champion and Odium and the whole dark and the light and how interesting that is. I I noticed or I Dalnar says that the the dark figure and like the intensity of his eyes, like his red glare, seems terrifyingly familiar, and maybe I'm I'm focusing in a little too much on one word but familiar is this going to turn out to be someone we know like this champion is this going to be someone who like dalinar knows already i can't think of who that would be but is this going to turn out to not be some you know new god character who's a a figure we haven't seen before but instead someone we we do know that would be a twist it's Gavilar. He's alive. <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I think I have it. I think I have it figured out. So the way that... Is it Shallan? That's going to be your theory. <laughs> it's Light Song. <laughs> <laughs> um, so the, so uh, Brandon Sanderson has to make this really interesting and really unforeseeable, right? So... It's it's someone who doesn't know that they're the Odium's champion yet. Okay. It becomes Odium's, Odium's champion, but Dalinar's seeing kind of into the future here. Um, maybe not someone who's like, oh, I've been mm. it the whole time here yeah. to surprise you, but someone who becomes that and that it's really sad, right? Someone who... Uh, and it's, and it's, it's Adolin. That's my guess. Oh. It is, it is Adolin because he killed Sadius, and that's going to be my guess. He's going to go on some big mm. trope where it's all downhill from here. Really sad. And he's not going to have the kind of like emotional perseverance like Kaladin does throughout all the hard times and stuff. He's going to give into it more, and and he's going to become a bad guy. But he's also super, super powerful and strong because he's Adolin, and he's super good at dueling and all this stuff. So Now that's, that is interesting. That's... that's Forty percent serious because I don't know if that could actually happen, but it's kind of fun to think about. So, um, that is why we're here. 
heroic thunder. <laughs> you guys are just like throwing stuff at the whiteboard and whatever sticks. You're like, ha! I, I, I said that. I said that. <laughs> I called it. Yeah. Let's ignore exactly. everything else I said. I said that one. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. You miss a hundred percent of the shots you don't take. So True. we're just taking a ton of shots, and we'll see if any of them work out. He's caught on to us, Paul. Apparently. Wonderful. All right. Uh, let's talk about Sadius. Sadius is dead at the hands of Adolin uh, on the one of the final chapters of Words of Radiance. And we talked about this briefly when we were talking about Words of Radiance, but I, on as a first-time reader, I was incredibly unsatisfied with this Words of, with this Sadius death. I thought it was very disappointing and a letdown for Adolin's character and completely relatable. Like you totally understand why Adolin is doing it, but after all this time to have it, to have him fall in a dishonorable man manner from Adolin, like, like a backstab in the back alley of, of Eurothiru and he doesn't get his, his duel that he's dreamed of for a thousand pages or whatever, since the betrayal there, you're right, Paul. There is a down, there is a downward trend for Adolin here, and then we get some of the repercussions here of Sadius's death. What, what were you guys' uh, thoughts as we jumped back into uh, your theory drama? Adolin's Adolin's definitely feeling the guilt a little bit already. We get a little bit of Adolin perspective, and it's I I think Paul, you and I are, are guessing. I think we're on the right track at least a little bit in that I think Adolin's going to be headed downhill. I think this is going to eat at him. I think this is going to be a major burden for him in his character going forward. Of He's going to have to deal with the fact that he yeah, pulled a knife on Sadius and, and took him down when he wasn't even prepared. And I, I agree with you, Trevor, that the Sadius death is frustrating as a reader because it's... I wanted a satisfying Sadius death. You, right. you wanted somebody to stand up and take Sadius down. Well, they did. They just did it in a kind of dirty way. And so now it's like, ugh, I wanted to like that you got Sadius, but now I can't because right. you just shanked him when he wasn't looking. I mean, I wasn't quite that, but you know, yeah. Yeah, it definitely was. I I didn't I definitely didn't expect it until it happened. Um but yeah, and I I'm I'm assuming it was for a purpose that it's gonna cause a whole lot of greater implications, but I, I haven't thought about it too much, honestly. It was wasn't perfect, but honestly I'm kinda glad because I think my only complaint, it definitely, Brandon Sanderson does a great job of like bringing things out that you don't expect. Um, but for the most part, a lot of things happen as you would expect. Like our good guys don't really die or anything like that, or our main characters at least. Um, yeah. And this was definitely like a shocker. Um, it wasn't like how a typical story would play out. So I'm, I'm happy for that reason. But, um, so yeah. No, no big thoughts on it other than that, though. Polona says what everybody else is thinking. Like, oh, phew, we don't have to worry about him anymore. You know, <laughs> like, got him out of the way. The I think the chapter's even titled One Problem Solved. And 
everybody else is kind of, you know, thinking it. And then Polona's like, well, that's good. Next. And then Dalinar is, seems to be more troubled about it than anybody else, even though the betrayal is the most personal for Dalinar. Maybe well, Kaladin, but... Yeah. I love the fact... I love the fact that Dalinar is honorable to a flaw. He's he's insistent that Sadius's death is a bad thing because he knows what Sadius is capable and he's sure that he could have used he could have, you know, brought Sadius back over or at least worked together with him to achieve something and, and everyone else in the room is like Dalinar he <laughs> he stabbed you in the back multiple times. Get over it, man. It's good that he's gone and Honestly, I'm I probably myself am on the side of it's good that he's gone. I'm not a huge fan of the way he was taken out, but I, I think it is better that he's gone. But no, Dalinar is going to stick to his his guns. He's he's going to stick to that. He was he was my enemy. He betrayed me, but I still could have repaired that or or brought good out of that. Like, wow, that's a really honorable stance to take. Yeah, and Dalinar certainly sees. This other side of it where the Dalinar versus Sadius conflict is by no means over. In fact, this might have just escalated it as opposed to diffused it. Because now all of Sadius's men are like, yo, why'd you kill our high prince? Like, yeah, that's really convenient that the men of Bridge 4 found him in a alone in the, in the alleyway. And they could have easily just killed him right there and then found the body a couple hours later or whatever. So... All of Sadius's men are, and they're not wrong. Like Adolin is the one who killed him. So Sadius's Sadius's uh, princedom is probably even less loyal to Dalinar than they would have been otherwise. Because the S Sadius has certainly been backstabbing Dalinar, but there's at least a twisted reason behind what Sadius's motives were, and that Dalinar could have tried to work with. Now there's just emotion. There's no. There's no thought on the head of Sadius's house right now there's just a bunch of angry uh officers in his in his uh battalion now so they're gonna have that to deal with going forward all of this in the in the midst of Dalinar trying to unite so Dalinar is a bondsmith and we don't know a lot about what that means we, we've gotten a little bit towards the end of words of radiance a little bit in chapter one here, but Dalinar is getting compared to the Sunmaker, who was a tyrant, as some people would say back in the day, of trying to unite as much as as much as Roshar. Think of like Alexander the Great, just marches in one direction, killing everybody that he can find, just to make his empire as big as possible. Um, that was the Sunmaker, one of Dalinar's dis or not descendants, the other way. Uh, ancestors. ancestors thank you <laughs> um and so yeah dalinar is trying to unite the entire continent as he's been quested to do either by the Stormfather or the almighty or both i don't know uh so adolin's dividing the alethi <laughs> with this assassination of sadius and while Dalinar is trying to unite not only the Alethi, not only the Ten High Princes, but literally everybody, every human he can find against the against Odium, against the Parshendi, the Voidbringers. And I think I think it's gonna come 
I think exactly that is may end up being one of our major conflicts later down the line of if Dalinar figures out that it was Adolin that killed Sadius and created this this dissection or this split instead of this union that he's trying so hard to make, could that be what breaks, you know, and pits Dalinar versus Adolin kind of thing? You know, is, is that going to be a moment where they, they can't reconcile that and, and all of a sudden now Adolin and Dalinar are not happy with each other or perhaps not on the same sides anymore? I could, I could see that. I hope not. Yeah. I am I'm curious too about the the Sunmaker. We've we've heard a couple references before to the Sunmaker, but I'm wondering if this is going to be something we revisit a, a little bit in this book is comparing Dalinar to this leader who came long before him and and how they go about creating this this unison of peoples. Dalinar's trying to do it in a peaceful manner. He's trying to unite everyone under a common cause where I did pick up on the the hints to Trevor that it sounds like the Sunmaker was a little more of a of a of a dictator or a, a warlord who more kind of Gavilar style marched in with his army and said, You're going to be my allies. I'm gonna kill your people off until you agree to be my allies, you know, kind of thing. Yeah. So we'll see how how Dalinar's method works for him. I do have to say just in general, so our first two books were Kaladins and Shallans, and I feel like Kaladins was the most, this is this is kind of a more macro scale here, Kaladins was more like entry-level interesting, right? His story was kind of exciting, um, and there's a lot of like action and things going on. And Shalons was also really great, but we kind of needed a little more development, I guess, for it to really pay off. Um, like Shalon in the first book, you know, kind of kind of boring. So, um, and I will say that the fact that this is Dalinar's book hasn't had me very excited. Um, because I feel like Dalinar hasn't been that exciting of a character. But as we've seen more of him throughout the books, we know that there's like a ton of stuff that is tied up with him. And so I actually do have like high hopes for this. Obviously, like I was excited for this book, but I'm curious to see what all is going to happen with Dalinar's character overall and, and kind of this whole unite them. I guess out of our... Th if he would be considered a third main character here, um, I feel like that's still like the least exciting at the moment. Um, but I ha I do have a lot of faith that obviously it's later in, in the book series and we have had a lot of stuff happen. And so I feel confident that that's going to turn into something extremely like exciting and we're going to see some cool stuff with it. But, uh, Especially because I don't, I, I've heard your opinion a lot, Trevor, but I also, I haven't heard from everyone, but I do get the general consensus that Oathbringer is kind of viewed as the best one of the series. <clears throat> um, at least most people's favorite. I could be way off, but um, just in general, I'm curious to see how, how he unites them or if that falls through or what, 
what really happens there um and kind of Dalinar's perspective I'm really curious about Dalinar flashback chapters actually that's usually it ends up being my favorite um <clears throat> with all of our storylines so far so as far as highest rated as as a common general reader of the stormlight archive words of radiance is usually first um for for highest like most enjoyed and then the way of kings and then oathbringer probably and then rhythm of war um in that order so almost chronological but not quite i i'm in a fair minority of putting oathbringer first um a lot of people critique oathbringer for a couple reasons but i won't spoil that for you so yeah i don't mind <laughs> yeah like you don't for this and this and this and this and I see what you mean. Yeah, and that's that's curious. I, I I didn't actually know. Um, I just always heard you, and you're like, "Oh, Oathbringer's the best thing ever." So it is. Uh, yeah, true. Yeah, I I'm excited to actually really dive, really to get all the way through this book and, and be able to form our our own opinions. You know, Paul, and because I I agree, I've heard very different things from different people. I've had people say, "Oh, Oathbringer, it's the best one. You're gonna love it," and then other people say, "Oh." Oathbringer, yeah, I made it through that one in order to get to to Rhythm of War, so I, mm -hmm. I really want to read and and see what I think of it. Yeah, I'll go ahead and place it now. It is end of the three ones we've read so far. I'd put it like fifth. So, oh okay, we'll see. Yeah. Two chapters in, and and you're already set. <laughs> yeah, no, not much has happened. It's not that great. Like we've barely <laughs> seen anything, so. So far, it's not that good. <laughs> Couple loose ends to tie up in this episode. Uh, Lopin has his arm back. We get a couple, a couple drops about squires and windrunners, and uh, we kind of getting the the context of what all this means. What were you guys' reactions to Lopin having his arm back? Isn't it just like an off comment of Dalinar? Like, yes. Oh, he has his arm back. Moving on. I, <laughs> I was like, I, I was like fully, you know, like, hold on. Wait, wait, wait a second. Wait a second. We, we knew it was healing, but boom, it's back. You're like, whoa, he's okay. Wow. I, we, we knew stormlight healing was, was powerful, but that's to grow an entire arm back in. I guess we don't really have a great understanding of the time frame here. A, a week. It's a week. I mean, yeah. that, the Everstorm hasn't even come back yet, right? So it's like a week. Like, man, wow. I I did think it was cool, the reference to... And, and this, again, feels like a big moment, a very important detail that's just kind of... Uh, oh, yeah, and by the way, the Bridge 4 guys have all started glowing, and they appear to have some of powers. And, uh, oh, yeah, how's the weather, Navani? Like, wait hang on a second yeah this thing that they all wanted so badly they're all like training with kaladin and helping him develop his powers and they're like oh yeah one day i'll be able to do this and we all thought you know oh they're just you know jealous of his powers so they'll never get it and then boom right here in the first chapter second chapter of of oathbringer and they they have it they have some of kaladin's windrunner powers like whoa i feel like that's really important 
true. I, I'm curious to know your thoughts about this, Elliot. I thought it was really cool, but also it, it almost felt... I can't say it felt, like, forced or... Like a little too cheesy, but almost. I don't. I I wouldn't say that it was cheesy, but like I feel like someone could could think that. Like, just kind of playing onto the concept of like, oh, all of our protagonists are like Im- like immune, like they can't die, um, and stuff. But it is really neat. I I felt like it was kind of like a. It, it seems like such a big deal, and I feel like it was just kind of dropped on there. Like, oh, by the way, some people can be night radiant squires and have some of the powers and kind of just moved on from there um i i'm gonna jump in real quick here i completely agree when i first read oathbringer and i and i read this for the first time i thought it was really and i mean you're two thousand pages into this or even more than that i thought but i thought it was really cheap of like kaladin worked so hard and he didn't work for these powers they were like a byproduct of of his good character and stuff and then all all his friends just kind of get it for free because they're with him and they're squires to him i thought i was like i'm not gonna lie i was kind of disappointed when i when i heard that as a concept of squires and sharing your powers that type of thing now that you say that what would have been awesome was would be a lopen novella in between these two books to like explain that yeah. to like follow Lopin as he's growing back his arm and like discovering that they have powers and like the bridge, you know, kind of bring in the more of the learn, learn more about some of the bridge four characters without Kaladin. Like he's left, but they're all he's left, but they're all figuring out that they have powers that that would have been a very interesting novella to kind of develop what exactly what you're talking about. Side note. Brandon Sanderson has mentioned that at some point he's going to go back and do a novella between Way of Kings and Words of Radiance, um, and it's going to be Rock's novella. Ooh! So there's a there's a tidbit for you there. We have no idea when that's coming. He's just like, yeah, I'll get I'll get around to it sometime. So that's pretty cool. I I do agree with what you were saying, Trevor. Um, like I, I'm glad you brought that up, or like brought that up i'm glad that you like said that uh yeah it did feel a little cheap i i was kind of almost hoping so so i guess what disappointed me most specifically also was we see lopin like taking storm at the very end of words of radiance and it's kind of like the oh my gosh what what like order is lopin gonna be and then that's kind of like a Oh, like he's just a squire or whatever. And I think it would have still even been cool if the... If Bridge 4 members just like became Knights Radiant. um, And and there was more orders in play or things like that. But yeah, I I feel like the squire thing is like a little awkward or forced or something. Yeah. Um, I'm hoping that it plays out well in practice, but just the concept of it... I was like, okay, so people aren't as, I don't know. It's like they're more special, but also I feel like by the end of this, we're going to see a whole bunch of these squires and everyone's friends are going to be pseudo search finding. I think it's a tool to try to tell you that search binding wasn't as rare 
back in the day, like of the Knights Radiant, where you could take on a squire and they wouldn't necessarily have to have a spread to to surge bind. Surge binding was way more commonplace than what we're seeing with this. So once they pick up their their surge binding, that yeah, more people can do it. But anyway, and, and just from like a, a world building and storytelling methods, it's it's actually a fairly good way to raise the stakes you know because as as we get further and further in, into this he he's gonna likely be kind of you know upping the stakes with the bad guys we're gonna be facing tougher and tougher and tougher and tougher and you know we've we've mentioned already kind of bigger and bigger evils well in order to realistically combat that we need our good guys to kind of be leveling up as well right and so for for the a lot of people to now have these powers in order to combat the much greater evil we're going to encounter that that just kind of makes sense um that, that that all the stakes are just getting raised like across the board that is a really good point and it will kind of put into perspective like a difference of strength in the opponents that you may see down the yeah. line so that is really cool any closing thoughts on episode 56 first couple chapters of Oathbringer. I want more Zeth and Nightblood. We did get... We, we got a full novella with cameos of Zeth and Nightblood, and I understand the the desire there since we just spent a whole month and a half on Warbreaker, so it's coming. Don't worry. I'm... I'm excited for Zeth. I'm excited, I'm excited for everything. I'm just excited to be back into these, these, these books. I, I almost... I forgot how excited I got reading these chapters and, and wanting to know more and, and finding little nuggets of of stuff that's like, oh, but what could that mean? And, and all this stuff there. <clears throat> there was some of that in the, the other books that we've been reading kind of in our, our little break from Stormlight Archives. But getting back into it, it's like, oh, yeah, I, this, I, I love this stuff. Cool. Well, definitely. We can close it for now and reconvene next week for chapters. Hold on, three through seven is going to be mm-hmm. next week. So we can close it here and talk next week. Thanks for joining me, Paul and Elliot. Of course.